Hey, welcome to episode 92 of the Caption Live, where we're going to talk about DC's latest film, Shazam, Fury of the Gods. And joining me is Derek Hoskins of the Paperweight Entertainment Podcast. And we even talk about what should have made us cry in the movie, but didn't. Let's go. Hi, and welcome to The Caption Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I am your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels has to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals to roundtable discussions with passionate fans and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can find me on social media under the username at Caption Life. You can also find more episodes and information at thecapsonlife.com. In today's episode, we are discussing Warner Brothers DC's latest film, Shazam! Fury of the Gods, which was written by Henry Gayden and Chris Morgan, directed by David F. Sandberg, and stars Zachary Levi as Shazam!, Grace Caroline Curry as Mary Bromfield, Helen Marin as Hespera, Lucy Liu as Calypso, and Rachel Zegler as Anthea. And I don't know if I said Rachel's last name correctly, but joining me today is a friend of the show, a fellow nerd, geek, and podcaster, Derek Hoskins. Derek is the co-founder of Paperweight Entertainment, along with Ian Torrance and Bob Tingle. He is the co-host of the Paperweight Entertainment podcast, a lifelong fan of comic books and comic-related media, and a firm believer that in the words of Qui-Gon Jinn, your focus determines your reality. Derek, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me back on. I'm excited to be here. You know, I was just <laughs> thinking about this. I don't even know. I can't even recall like how we first connected. I know we connected through Twitter, but I don't even remember like if there was like a tweet or something that we started um, kind of interacting with each other. Do you remember? I can't remember. I was thinking of that <laughs> not long ago, in all honesty, because I know that I had seen your TikToks when I first got on. Right. And then I, I don't know if we just kind of it, you liked one of our tweets or maybe we liked one of yours. And it was one of those things. It, you may have been one of the ones that uh, that Trent, who handles our Twitter, he may have reached out to you. I know he reached out to a couple of podcasters early on mm-hmm. about maybe uh, trying to collaborate on something. So maybe that was how I don't know. We could blame Trent for this for this friendship. I'll, I'll blame him that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So um, before we get started with uh, talking about Suzanne Fury of the Gods, um, we just saw it. Both of us just saw it last night. And at the time mm-hmm. of this recording, we we're recording it Friday, which is the official opening date. Um, uh, so we just saw it last night. We each saw it just once. So it's pretty fresh in our mind, but we also haven't had a chance to go back and kind of rewatch anything or try to keep an eye out for something that maybe we missed the first time. So all this is going to be kind of just raw thoughts and feedback on the movie as we're talking about it. Um, but before we jump into that, I always like to ask our guests on the show what their comic book origin story. And I know that you've actually done that before on the show because this is not your first time. You've been on the show right. um, previously. But I want to ask you maybe what is your Sazam origin story? Oh, gosh. Uh, With Shazam, I think it was the DC animated movie, uh, the Superman Shazam Return of Black Adam may have been the first time that I really noticed the character, Uh uh, which is a blast. It's a really fun animated uh, animated movie. Uh, But then also the New 52 in the Justice League books of the New 52, Jeff Johns wrote a, a backup story where it was going through Billy Batson's becoming Shazam. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was the first, gosh, I can't remember. It was six or 12 issues. I don't remember if it was a full year of them doing these little, little uh, stories at the end of each book, just a couple of pages. 
leading up to him, you know, meeting the wizard and getting getting his powers. So between the animated movie and the New 52, which is when I first started really getting into DC comics, mm-hmm. um, I'd say that that's probably where my my origin with it came in. And then, of course, the movie I, I absolutely loved. I thought it was a, the first movie was a uh, a fantastic, fun, just superhero adventure, silly, everything that they're everything that you want something like a Shazam movie to be. So, right. So, so, I mean, talking about the movies, like the comic books seem like it's supposed to be the same kind of silliness as the movies. Is that right? From what I've read, I haven't read a lot of Shazam comics in all honesty. Right. Um, you know, I, I've read him as a member of the justice league. I've seen him in, in team up books and things like that. But the the majority of my knowledge of Shazam comes from a lot of the DC animated uh, properties. He, you know, he had a couple of runs in Young Justice and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it is always that idea that you know this is a child in an adult's body, right? <laughs> Which accurately, accurately describes a lot of us today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me show you my Shazam origin story. So. Do you remember the Superman arcade game when we were kids, like back in the late 80s, early 90s? Mm-hmm. You know how there's like a, it's like a two-player option where you can play as Superman, and then you can play as a character that's like Superman, but he wore like a red uh, suit with a white cape. Do you really? remember this at all? I don't remember that. I, I remember it vividly mm. because I remember thinking like, did Superman have a like twin or something like that? Or, or what's this, you know, red suit with the white Cape. So years later, I don't know what it was, but I, I must've saw Shazam, you know, on a, uh, you know, on a movie or something like that. I, I really don't know. Or maybe it was the first uh, Shazam movie that just came out, you know, four or five years ago. And I was thinking about that arcade game for some reason. I was like, Oh man, that must've been Shazam. That was playing the arcade game. Uh, come to find out, that is actually not the case at all. Apparently, the the game developers just gave him the red suit and white cape. <laughs> I don't know why no one thought about this. Looks too like similar to Suzanne. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Um, right. So for a while, I thought that's who it was. Was oh, I was playing Suzanne in that Superman game, but apparently not. So what my actual <laughs> origin story is like, I've always vaguely or randomly heard about Suzanne, but I didn't really get any sort of knowledge or exposure to Shazam until the movies came out. And so I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy about um, watching Shazam and Shazam Fury of the Gods is that I'm actually going in with no comic book knowledge of the character whatsoever. So I can really enjoy the movie for what it is as opposed to what it is, plus comparing it to what it's like in the comic book. So, um, yeah, so that's my origin story with Shazam and it's, uh, it's a doozy. So, um, so with that being said, we're going to go ahead and dive right into our review of Suzanne Fury of the Gods. So there will be spoilers. So if you're listening to this episode or watching this episode right now and you haven't watched the movie and you don't want anything spoiled for you yet, go ahead and hit pause or bookmark this or whatever. Go watch the movie at this point and then come back um, to the episode and we will um, pick up from there. So go ahead and do that right now. With that being said, let's jump right on into our review. Um, um, one thing I did want to share is that there is a podcast called Comic Book Keepers. Are you familiar with them, Derek? 
Yeah, just in passing. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're a really good podcast. They actually have an episode where they do kind of a history of Shazam the character from the comic books, and it's really good. So if you're if you're listening to this and you're interested in maybe learning more about the character from the comic books, like the history of like how it was created and, and the backstories and things like that, I'll put a link in the show notes so that way you can check it out. But it's a really good one. I enjoyed listening to it before um, watching Shazam: Fury of the Gods. But um, let's go ahead and start off with some listeners' thoughts about the movie overall and then we'll go into our overall thoughts about the movie as well too so um our listener thoughts first one from twitter is at keeping it geekly said it was saved killed and then given a second wind all within the third act which i think is is a good accurate like depiction of what happened in the movie there for Mm -hmm. sure (laughs) (laughs) and then um at Richard Nebens, who writes for The Direct, said, Pretty solid movie, not quite as good as the first one, but still pretty enjoyable. Interesting villain twists and a couple of emotional moments that hit really hard. Far from perfect, but a fun time at the theater. I I have to agree with that. That's definitely my experience as well. Um, and then... At ODPH Podcast, Ken said, fun movie bringing the family magic to the superhero realm, unlike Magic uh, Magic Hat Tony, a.k.a. MHT. Now, Derek, do you know who he's referring to here? No, magic I, Hat don't. Tony. I don't know Magic Hat Tony. So Magic Hat Tony is who he calls Doctor Strange. Because <laughs> he, Yeah, he and I both <laughs> talked about how... One, our disdain for Doctor Strange. I, I think he says he, he's not a fan of Doctor Strange as well, too. Uh, but he's he's described him as he's pretty much Tony Stark with a magic hat. <laughs> not far off. I mean, in the, yeah. in the in the comics, they were, you know, facial, awesome facial hair bros. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and in, in, in the MCU, it's, it's pretty similar as well, too. Like, they're both very mm-hmm. intelligent. I mean, Tony Stark is definitely more intelligent, right, because of of all the things that he, he he see at least he seems very intelligent. Doctor Strange right. is intelligent with with medical sciences and and has that you know photographic memory. So he's definitely intelligence on that level. Um, mm-hmm. So they probably have like different levels of intelligence, but there are a lot of similarities between the two. Um, so I really like that description that Ken gave for him. Yeah, that's really good. I like it. Yeah. Um, so he also said slower start, strong finish, and great post credits moment uh, that leaves the door open to return under the new regime, perhaps, and gives it a seven out of ten. In, uh, which we'll kind of talk about our own ratings a little bit later as well too. So, um, so that's good. Yeah, I think you know seven out of ten is pretty good. So, and, yeah, and that and that accurately depicts what he was saying there. And then our last one is JT from Beyond Fan uh, Beyond the Fandom podcast on Twitter at Beyond Fandom One said movie was very solid. Didn't love it, but didn't hate it either. The comedy was on point, and the family aspect was a nice touch. That last chapter was awesome. However, there are some things that I was like, uh, okay. You can tell nothing was changed when Gunn and Saffron took over, which we'll definitely talk about that, um, referring to the mid and post credit scene as well, too. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so those are some of the listeners' thoughts. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. Derek, what's your overall thoughts about Shazam! Fury of the Gods? Overall, I had an absolute blast with it. You know, I, I mentioned that I really enjoyed the first one, so I went into it hopeful that it was going to be good. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with the comedy. I laughed out loud throughout, and not only did I laugh out loud, everyone that I saw it with were having very positive reactions. Mm-hmm. A lot of laughter at all the right parts. Uh, the the acting was great as usual. I 
would have liked to have seen some of the actual child, like the kid actors more like Asher yeah. Angel that plays Billy Batson. I would have liked to see him a little more. I think he was great in the first one. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did get to see a fair amount of Jack Dylan Glazer, who is also a phenomenal actor, but I would have liked to see them a little bit more. But other than that, I, I agree. The family dynamic was great. Uh, there was some really good emotional beats. The villains who I didn't have a lot of hope for going into because I believe they're original to this story. Um, I, I I enjoyed them. There was right. a, a turn there that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. And uh, overall, it, it was a really good time. Just a, a hair shy of being as good as the first one for me. So I really enjoyed it. Had a blast. But it wasn't quite enough to get it up to the level as the first one. Right. Yeah, I, I agree um, with a lot of those things. And and what's interesting about these villains here is that they're from the uh, Greek mythology, if I remember correctly. So these are all characters that are from Greek mythology. I don't know their characters very well from it. Um, so I'm assuming that they're pretty accurate with the Greek mythology. I just don't remember the sisters um, very well in terms of what the relationship is in that. Um, but same thing here. I When I watched it last night, there were moments where I was busting out laughing because there was like a really good joke. Um, I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but I absolutely love Freddie in this movie. I thought he mm-hmm. really was a great comic relief. He was a good comic relief in the first one. I think he was better in this one for a number of reasons. Um, so I absolutely think the humor was really good. There was probably a couple of, of jokes. I was just like, didn't land as well, but that happens with, every movie um but yeah overall i thought the humor was done really well in this one um action scenes were great um overall i didn't have a whole lot of criticisms i had a few things where um i mean there are criticisms but i think it kind of gets it it's kind of part of a larger conversation with things as well too but it's more of like nitpicky things that didn't really take me out of it necessarily um, but we'll talk about that a little bit as well, too. So I would give that same thing with what came from the ODPH podcast, probably like a seven out of 10. Um, you know, it was what I liked about Suzanne here. And I mentioned this before is that for me, I didn't read any of the Suzanne comics. So this is my only experience. So I get to experience it as a movie fan versus a comic book fan, which I always enjoyed those moments um, because then I can kind of go in with a clean take of what the movie is versus what it's compared to. Um, But the other thing that I really enjoy about Shazam is um, just the fact that it's a self-contained movie in this aspect. Because when we get the MCU, it's always looking at how it's connected to that bigger universe and with everything that's happening with DC studios and what's going to happen with the flash, um, that's supposed to like reset the, you know, DC universe. And hopefully it'll kind of be a little bit more unified. This movie is definitely self-contained, but at the same time, so was the first one was in the DCEU. Like it definitely had, you know, Superman and some other cameos in it, but by and large, it was just its own kind of thing. And that's what I really liked about this movie is that you can really watch it without having to know what else is going on in that DC universe, you can really enjoy it for what it is basically. So, so yeah, overall I really enjoyed it. I think it's, um, it's definitely one of the better decisions that DC made in terms of this DCEU properties and making it just enjoyable. Is it, you know, one of the, the best comic book movies out there? Absolutely not. But it's definitely one that is a lot of fun to watch and to get into. And, and, you know, it, it has, 
you know, some things that other comic book movies doesn't have, which is that whole theme of family within the like foster care system and what that means with the dynamics and kind of giving you that insight of the the relationship between the foster parents and the kids and and some of the other things that kind of goes into living in a foster care system that we don't you know get to see in a super in a superhero or comic book movie very often so um yeah so so those are overall thoughts thank you for sharing that Derek um what are some of the things that you absolutely enjoyed most about this movie I know you kind of talked about that and um earlier when you kind of gave your overall thoughts but like let's do a deep dive here of of like you know you, you mentioned some of the jokes you thought were really good we talked about the theme of family was really good mm-hmm. in here what what were some of the specific things that you really enjoyed about the movie So talking on family especially I I love that we started off with with Shazam speaking like a therapy session where he's talking to the pediatrician. So you got a joke right off the bat, but also he's talking about very serious issues that he's going on emotionally and mentally. Mm -hmm. And it gets brought up again later on when he's talking with Mary and she's bringing up the idea of, you know, at some point you're going to be 18 soon. Right. And, you know, they don't have a lot of money and, and he gets to the, gets to the core of why he has been so dead set on all or none. It's all of us or none of us because it's that deep seated fear of of being left it's of being rejected of being being you know not good enough to keep the family together you know all these thoughts that would go through a child's head mm-hmm. when they've had such trauma and i thought that that was really well first off it was really well done just in general in my opinion i thought i thought that they conveyed the the reason behind his actions really well in those scenes mm-hmm. and also they were able to keep it light and Fun, So it didn't bog down the story to the point where, you know, those are serious, serious traumatic issues that he's gone through. And they they were able to do it in a way that they were still able to tell their jokes that didn't undercut the story they were trying to tell. Mm -hmm. And I thought that they did that a really good job. All of the family dynamics were were great with that from, you know, Billy not being ready to call his foster mother mom to, uh, you know, to his him desperately clinging to this idea that they're going to be a family forever, even if. You know, he ages out of the foster system. Right. It was really, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, so that was probably my favorite thing about this movie as a whole is just the idea that they were able to take some pretty serious themes and some serious ideas and understanding of trauma and and use that to to push the story forward and how they were able to to wrap all of that up very very cohesively and very well and. Also, by allowing this to still be Shazam's movie. Right. Because one of the things that I was concerned about whenever you get the Shazam family together is how is this going to be Shazam's movie now? How is this going to be Billy's movie? Because it it can't be. They all have the same powers. Now you have this big team. You can't necessarily have the one. And so I thought that the, the way that they were able to still make it his movie while also serving the rest of the family and by having them be such a big part of it. I just was really impressed with the, the family aspect overall. So I'd say that was probably my favorite thing about it. And then right behind that is the comedy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree the the family aspect of this movie, um, you hit it uh, on the head for, for me in, in all these aspects is, is going into Billy's, you know, past fears of, you know, all the trauma that he came up uh, with, with growing up and, you know, being the foster care system, that this is the first family that gave him some that sort of stability. And just like you said, it had a lot of those underlying tones. But going back to earlier, what you said, I wanted to see more Billy going through that versus mm-hmm. Shazam. Not that. Right. 
not that 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 was you know necessarily overkill by any means. I think it just it wasn't enough balance with the kids of uh, mm-hmm. being able to see those dynamics because I think that was the thing with the first movie that did a really good job with is kind of showing those dynamics and and how they care for each other. We just saw a lot of the Shazam you know characters versus the kid characters in this that we didn't get a lot of that you know. Uh, opportunities for them to really develop a show that the the other thing that I thought was kind of strange with the family dynamic is how Billy like you mentioned didn't wasn't ready to call her mom yet but they didn't really explain why and right I I can kind of gather from some context clues is that he probably is just afraid of getting kicked out and, and making that attachment but he's already making that attachment with all or none mentality. And so it's just kind of a, I, I wish they developed that, like take, take maybe like a minute to develop that, have a conversation about, you know, why he was feeling that way or why he wasn't ready to do that. And I know in the previous movie, you know, he had just found his mom and she rejected him again. And, you know, he's going through all that. So I'm not expecting him to just go ahead and hop into calling her mom at the same time. Like some time has passed and I, I wanted to know a little bit more, like what was the issue at hand? So with given the context clues, that's the only thing we can think of is maybe mm-hmm. he just doesn't want to make that attachment, even though he's already made that attachment. It's, it's kind of a, a weird thing. But overall, I, I did love Again, how families comes in all shapes and sizes, how families comes in a lot of different ways. Um, the emotional connection between Billy and the mother, I thought, was really powerful in this movie versus mm-hmm. um, the first movie we had. Like, you know, they were still kind of getting to know each other, but right. they didn't really have that sort of connection here, especially when Billy dies at the end. And, you know, obviously he comes back for people who watched it. Um she was really distraught by it, you know, and I know it made mm-hmm. me tear up a little bit. And so it really sold it for me, just how much of a loving family they are. Um, and that, I, I just, I just love being able to see that and that people see there are different ways that families come in. Um, that is not just a singular way or even like a, you know, one or two ways of doing that. And I think the foster care uh, family in this regard was just really cool because we got to see not just a lot of diversity, but a lot of different relationships and just a lot of different kinds of um, interactions between those relationships as well, too. So, you know, Billy and, and Mary, I don't think they were really close in that first movie, but they mm-hmm. really kind of connect in this movie because Mary has already gone through what Billy's about to go through. So she was kind of giving him that guidance in that regard. So, um, yeah, so I absolutely love that family theme there. So um, I absolutely agree. That's probably the strongest theme in the movie for me Mm -hmm. that did a really good job with that. Um, I will say one thing that struck me as a little weird, and you tell me what you think about this, is that the parents still don't know that they're the Shazam heroes or the or the Philadelphia fiascos, as they call them in the movie, right? <laughs> right. Um, they'll know that's them, but they see them on TV all the time. Here's the thing. Mary, both in the, <laughs> you know, the child, child loosely mm-hmm. because she's 18, and superhero, like, looks exactly the same because it's, it's yeah, the, the same, same actor. <laughs> like, like. Did, did they not notice her at all? Be like, well, that's Mary, you know, like that. That was the one thing that I thought was just a little odd is that mm-hmm. I, I think it made sense to have her be the same actress because, you know, she's already aged out and things like that. But like the parents not to be l- looking at Mary, be like, oh, yeah, that's like, that's not Mary. You know, like I thought that was a little <laughs> odd, you know? So. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought the same thing because I thought, OK, they, they were they were clever about it because 
Freddie was always the one giving the interviews. Right. It was always Freddie that was seeking it. So maybe they could have played it off that Mary was able to hang back and maybe not get her face caught. But at, at the same time, I thought, man, everybody sees these people. They're all over. They're all over town. Right. They're in the newspapers. They're on TV. Never once have they seen her face. <laughs> Never yeah. have they heard her voice as she's talking behind, like behind the camera or something like that. Yeah, there's, there's so got to be think something. That was a little odd. <laughs> I do agree that it was smart to have her as the as the actress for both Mary and you know the Mary Marvel, right. um, because again she's an adult now, and the whole point of Shazam is basically that you take the kid and then you you become like the most mature version of that of that person so it's like the adult version of the kid so it makes perfect sense but it does lead to a plot hole of they're not very observant that they didn't notice (laughs) that this this child that they have cared for for years that they know on such a such a personal familial level right they don't know that that's the same person right so it is that is a little bit of a plot hole but uh i I was able to but it's small yeah uh, yeah but I was able to headcan it out like, OK, well, she stays away from the cameras. Maybe, right. You right. Freddie, let ta- Freddie take the spotlight. Maybe she does like the flash thing where he used the vibrations yeah. to hide his voice. But she does the same right. thing for her face. You yeah, know, just turns yeah. her face really fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wanted to bring up before we move yeah. on real fast. The one thing that I think that they did a good job with on this and the first one is one of my favorite things about the first movie is that the foster parents were just loving good people. Yes. And it got a lot of praise for that because you don't always see that in movies. Right. And and media, a lot of time the foster parents are are cruel or abusive. And we didn't get that at all with them. Right. And even and they were so accepting of all of the kids in both movies, especially this one, when they found out that they were the Philadelphia fiascos. All right. Right. They yeah. just kind of went with it. And yeah. it was really great. And you got that the the amount of acceptance and love from them and from all of the siblings to the point where at the end of the movie where, uh, you know, Pedro comes out, I believe it was Pedro is the, the character that comes out as gay. Yeah. yeah. And, and everybody's just, yeah, we know it's great. We're good. <laughs> Everything's good. We love you anyway. Right. It, it was, it was, it, it's so refreshing to see that not only, like you said, with the diversity, but just the love and acceptance of a family without mm-hmm. seeing any of the negatives that is usually portrayed with that with that system. Right. You know, what's interesting. This is the first thought I had when I saw that scene where Pedro said that he's gay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, on the one hand, I absolutely love how like immediately accepting they were of it. And mm-hmm. and they're just like they normalized it. Right. Mm hmm. I think that was that was the thing that they did really well is that they kind of they tried to normalize that um, reality and saying that, you know, that doesn't change how we see you or who you are or anything like that. Um, so I really like that part. The other hand, this is where I would like to get more feedback from somebody who's had a coming out um, who has come out and, and can share that experience is. Did that also kind of diminish that coming out experience? Because that is a hard thing for somebody to do mm-hmm. and for them to say, like, yeah, we know and, and kind of like shrug it off. I don't know. If they're also you know inadvertently shrugging off and not recognizing, acknowledging how hard it was right. for him to do that. Um, but I don't know, because, again, I'm not a gay person. You're not a gay person. And we've never mm-hmm. had that experience. So I don't know what that kind of experience was and how that might be represented here. And I know it's not going to be like the same for everybody. It's not right. You know, you're going to have uh, different opinions on that, but I was just kind of curious. Like that was the first thought I had was like, was that diminishing that 
whole experience of him trying to come mm-hmm. out and everything. So, um, but yeah, I agree. Um, who stole the show for you in the movie? I, I have a couple people that I definitely want to give a shout out, but I want to ask you for you in this movie, who do you think like really stood out in this movie? For me, I would say Freddie if it wasn't for the wizard. <laughs> if it wasn't for Jamin Hansu just giving the comedic performance of a lifetime. Right. I mean, I know we've said a couple of spoilers, but Jamin Hansu's face on Wonder Woman's body, <laughs> I could barely hear what he was saying because I had Ian sitting right next to me in the theater. Yeah. And we were laughing so hard that we were like bumping into each other. Uh-huh. It, it was such a great gag. So and and just his overall he he, he he was perfect. I, I'm a big fan of him as an actor anyway, and mm-hmm. I love seeing him just get to be funny and over the top and annoyed and crotchety and cantankerous and all the things that he was throughout this movie. Right. I, I thought it was fantastic to the end where he comes out, just comes in decked out all clean shaven, <laughs> yeah. looking good with an awesome hat. I loved it. He he stole every scene he was in in this in this movie for me. Yeah. Again, Freddie was great, but I knew he was going to be great. Mm-hmm. The wizard is the one that gave me the biggest surprise. Yeah, yeah. They and he had a bigger role in this movie mm-hmm. than in the, in the previous one, which is interesting because initially it didn't seem like he was. He was going to mm-hmm. have one, but he definitely had a lot more in this one, and he had a lot more freedom. I think in terms of the creative direction they had for that character instead of just being an old wizard that's just kind of waiting for the champion Mm -hmm. he ended up being a little bit more active and I'm glad they actually explained how he came back because I was kind of thinking didn't he die and then later right. on in the movie they're like Shazam's the same thing like didn't you die you know? <laughs> so I enjoyed that for sure um for me it's two people Freddie again because mm-hmm. he he's definitely the comedic relief but he really shown for me in this movie the just how funny he can be because it wasn't just the things that he was saying, but just mm-hmm. the timing and how he said it. So that five minute scene where, um, uh, Anthea shows up right mm-hmm. into the high school. And, you know, he's obviously in love with her from the moment, uh, that he laid highs on her and then he starts getting bullied and then starts insulting them, you know, kind of showed that range of like that witty, you know, quirky, uh, mm-hmm. humor that he has. And then it goes from that to him walking with Anthea to her class. She's walking away. And then all of a sudden he was like, Friday, like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> out of nowhere. Like, it's just his comedic range, like really mm-hmm. like leveled up in this movie to a point that I enjoyed watching Freddie a lot. And, and the superhero, Adam Brody, that played him, I think did a great job of being his counterpart because mm-hmm. that actor also has that same similar humor that he's known for. He, I remember him from the OC. I know he's been in some other things, but mm-hmm. I remember seeing him in the OC and he definitely gives me Freddie vibes when I watch him in that show because they have that similar humor in that character. So he was definitely great, but Freddie was definitely the one, the, the um, actor that played Freddie was great, which was, Oh, what's that person's name again? Jack Dylan Grazer. Jack who it was, yeah. yeah. Um, the other person for me is the actress that played superhero Darla, Megan Good, because she 
showed like how she was really a still like a 10 or 12 year old at heart. Like mm-hmm. even not just when she had speaking lines, when she had speaking lines, she did a great job of doing that. But there are moments where she's not speaking. She's not even the center of attention. I just happen to like look over and see what mm-hmm. she's doing and just her mannerisms and how she's interacting and how she's looking around stuff like that is very reminiscent of a 10 to 12 year old child. Mm-hmm. And I just thought the actress just nailed it very well to capture what a 10 or 12 year old would actually do in that situation. I, I thought it was just phenomenal. I never, it, it's almost like Robin Williams in, in the movie, Jack, how he act like mm-hmm. a kid, but he's in a 40 year old body, right? Same thing with Megan good, but she captured it so well with the innocence and the giddiness and how excited she is just, you know, being a kid. Like she just captured that so well. And I love that part of her performance uh, by far. Yeah, she was amazing. The kittens alone yes, the kittens, were enough. The kittens the and Skittles how she interacted with on the Steve. unicorn. Oh my gosh, the Skittles with <laughs> the unicorn was so brilliant. Yeah, and it was such a great payoff. That's what I was talking about. With the, the comedy in this is so good. It's very. It was good. a payoff from a throwaway line about her putting Skittles in Mary's pants to surprise her because she was in a bad mood. Right. Right. It was it was such a great and I then taste the rainbow. Just yeah. so happy. taste the rainbow. <laughs> Which Fantastic. we know we know that was a whole commercial, but we loved it. <laughs> oh yeah. I even said it. And I whispered that to Ian when we were watching it. I said, Taste the rainbow, and then she did and we were ah! <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, the humor is really good in this. Yeah. Um so let's switch over and I always feel like when you watch a movie, you have to have kind of a fair balance between what mm-hmm. we loved about it and then some things that we didn't like about it or criticisms. Mm-hmm. What criticisms do you have about the movie? So it, it seems very nitpicky to talk about, but I think that some of the visual effects were very interesting, to mm-hmm. say the least. Some mm-hmm. of the flying scenes, and I know, like, I can't do what they do. They It, it looked better than anything I could put together. Right. And I know the strain that the VFX artists are under. But there were some 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 visual effects issues. But more than that, there were some really strange editing choices in this movie uh-huh. that that kind of made my brain jolt when there was like there'd be a, a switch to a scene and it, it just it didn't flow right. It seemed it seemed off. Mm-hmm. And so there were some weird editing things in there and a couple of wonky visual effects. But other than that, I mean, those are those are nitpicky things, but they're just those little little moments that made me go, oh, that was I don't think I would have done it that way. I think I would have smoothed out that scene a little more. I would have maybe maybe let that breathe a couple seconds longer or or cut a little bit earlier. Some some things like that. But yeah, just the, the some visual effects that can kind of take you out of the moment and then some very strange editing choices. What? Is there a scene that you can kind of give an example of where the editing was kind of off for you? Towards, let me see. Where was the – I'm trying to think of where it was. It was a flying scene, the one that stuck out in my head. I believe it was when Shazam is flying towards Freddy after he's lost his powers. Okay. And he's coming at her and or he's coming at them. And there's a moment where – it's not when he gets hit by the building or when he runs into the building. It's right after that. There's, or maybe it's right before that. I can't remember. I'd have to go back and watch it. But I remember that it was a really, like a really fast, hard cut mm-hmm. of an edit, and it was jarring to to see. Oh, and okay. I know, like I said, that's a, it's a it's a really odd critique to make. But it was enough that I I I, I felt it when I was watching it. Okay, where it's like oh, that was kind of a weird little like glitch. It, it almost looked like. 
a glitch effect happened because right. of the the strange cut that it, if I hit my microphone one more time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it was a couple of things like that where it seemed like I, I don't know if they were in a rush because I think they pushed this movie back a couple of times, but I don't know if they were in a rush when they were editing it that they didn't have enough time to to finalize a couple of those. But, right. you know, it, it wasn't anything that that would have knocked the score of this even a half a point. But it's just the one thing that stood out enough that I noticed it and it, it stuck with me. Yeah, that that's weird because I don't think I noticed it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a much better editor than I am. <laughs> well, and and also, like, I'm, I'm watching it with my kids, so I'm not right. when I'm when I'm going to watching it. Uh, especially with with my family, I'm not paying attention to those technical aspects of it. Like right. there, there are things that I will notice just because mm-hmm. I've done video editing stuff like that. But I I usually don't go into, into the mentality of paying attention to those things. Um, so right. it very well could be when I go see it a second time, I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm probably watching it, you know, on my iPad or something like that when it comes out on HBO Max. But um, yeah, I just didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. Um. I have a few things, and, and, and I'll try to make these quick, um, but I did have a few things. The, the first one is Lucy Liu's performance. Now, overall, yes. she did a great job. I, I think she did a fantastic job overall with some moments of odd acting performances in certain moments or scenes. Um, I think some of it is when it gets to like a very dramatic Greek-style scene where they're interacting with each other and talking about their father and, and what's been mm-hmm. happening, stuff like that. Um, I don't think she landed as well as Helen Mirren did right. um, for whatever reason. I don't know what it is. I don't know why that was, but I think there was this couple of moments. It just didn't sound natural enough for whatever reason. Um, the other biggest thing is she had moments where she's supposed to like dramatically scream or yell or things like that. And I felt like it didn't land for whatever reason. Like there are some times where she did that dramatic yell and like a battle cry or like a reaction um, to. Well, it's mostly in fighting scenes, I think is what it was, is when she's supposed to be doing these things. And it just didn't, again, sound natural or didn't really have that oomph for impact. And I don't know what it is. And I think I know that it's hard to be able to in to project that in a way that sounds natural, especially when you're on a CGI stage or in a CGI stage, but you're on a, a studio stage and you're probably, you know, dealing with a lot of wires and blue screens. And you don't have a whole lot of interaction going on with, you know, to be able to get feed off of that person's energy, things like that. Right. So I just noticed that about her performance that I thought was just a little odd. And, and I say that because Lucy Liu is a great performer. I love her as an mm-hmm. actress, everything she's been in, I absolutely adore her performance. And this one, I was, I was just surprised that there was a couple of times like that just didn't sound like or seem like Lucy Liu generally, you know? So, yeah, I agree with that completely. I I'd kind of forgotten about it, but there are a couple of scenes that stood out where it almost felt like she was because you're right. Lucy Liu's a very, a very good actor. She's mm-hmm. a very accomplished actress. I think she's great. Right. And so there were a couple of scenes that came off as almost like she was trying to play up the camp a little bit. Right. 
Right. Where she kind of se- seemed like she was falling into that, like Tommy Lee Jones territory from like Batman forever. <laughs> almost, almost like she's like, okay, this is how a villain would talk. Right. Or this is how yeah. a villain would say this line. Yeah. Not necessarily. This is how I think the character would speak. This is how a comic book villain would say this yes. line. <laughs> and, and, and it's not throughout the entire movie, but there are a handful of scenes that it's noticeable. Right. Yeah. And I, and it, and it is weird because she is, she's a very good actress. Now, Hel- Helen Mirren, on the other hand, I yeah. believe everything she says in every movie she's ever done. I don't know how she does it. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. I know. You know, and speaking of Helen Mirren, I thought it was interesting at the beginning of the movie, I thought something looked a little off about the way she appeared. And I don't know what it mm-hmm. was. I didn't know if it just like, it seemed like she looked older or they were trying to hide how old she looked, but it was in like the first couple scenes. And then after that, I don't know if I just got adjusted to it or if it was just those two scenes and then, you know, she looked better or, or whatever. It, it's just something that I just remember noticing in the moment. And then later on as the movie played, I was like, Oh no, she looked, you know, she looks great. And, and didn't have a problem, but it was just, it was just another thing that threw me off for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the Shazam suits real quick. I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts about the suits in this movie and the first movie, and there's a reason I'm going to bring up the first movie, but I want to get your thoughts and feedback about what you thought about the suits. So I like the suits better in this movie. Yeah. By, by a lot. I, right. And I didn't have a problem with the suits in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the padding was a little more noticeable. I, I feel like in Shazam suit in the first movie, I think they toned that down because Zachary Levi's a big guy. I mean, you know, he's not, Dwayne Johnson or Henry Cavill big, but he's a right. big dude and he worked out hard for the, for this. Yeah. So they he's didn't definitely need to toned and, and has muscle on him. Yeah. 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 They didn't need to pat him that much, but the thing that I liked the most about these suits was the lightning bolt change. Yeah. It didn't look like it. It didn't look like it was it looked like a battery LED. packed, like Halloween yeah. costume. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and what's interesting is when they're at the rock of eternity, they do light up. Right. But when he's out and in, in, when he's sitting there at the, at the, like the picnic table, it's just gold. It's yeah. Just it it just and changes. I agree. I love how they made that change because I think that mm-hmm. was one of the things from the first movie, just like you said, the padding and the lightning bolt was just so distracting mm-hmm. that again, it felt more like a Halloween costume than a, wizard god superhero costume and then this time around um i love that they made that change with the lightning bolt because i think that mm-hmm. looked uh, it, it looked a lot better right i i can't say that it looks a hundred percent the way it should because again i'm not somebody that read Shazam comics or anything like that so i don't know if that's how it's supposed to be but i could buy it a lot more in terms of that looks a lot more natural with the suit and it looks more aesthetically pleasing and, and everything about it. I, I think they did a great job of updating that and making that look a lot better this time around. Um, going back to the padded muscle suit, I got to say, I love the suits in this one better, but the padding was still present for me. Mm-hmm. And it just annoys me for whatever reason. I, I don't know why it is. The first one, like you said, yes, it was it was definitely padded a lot more. And I know that they do padding in the costumes, but that one just mm-hmm. seemed like it's very noticeably padded. You looked like you had marshmallows in your shoulders. Exactly. It, it was <laughs> odd. Huge. It was yeah, it was it very was... odd. This time around, it, it's not as bad, but right. it was still clearly padded. And I, I just I don't know why it bothers me, but it just bothers me. And I think it's because when you look at you know Batman suit. Yeah, there's probably a little bit padding in there, but it's also built as a uh, almost like a bulletproof, you know, action mm-hmm. fighting combat 
type of suit. So it has a lot more of the like combat military style look to it. So there's maybe a little bit padding of it, but again, not to the extent of a Shazam is Henry Cavill and his Superman suit. I don't know if they had padding in it, but if they did, it's barely noticeable because it's like skin tight. Um, But what I noticed in this time around this movie is they had the padding on the men's suit for the Mm -hmm. women. Mary Sue, she had the sleeves on and it was the skin tight on her arm. So it doesn't look like she had any muscles compared to the men because it was form fitting and she's Mm -hmm. just not built out like the way the men are. Plus, the men had the padded muscle building. Right. Then for um, for Darla, she didn't have any sleeves. So like her arm was just exposed out there as well, too. So I thought it was just kind of an interesting choice that they added the padding muscle to the men. And then for the women, it's like muscles didn't matter for them, you know, and 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 I think it goes back to trying to be more cognizant of how women and men are, you know, they're not just different, but they also in terms of appearance of like strength and stuff like that, it kind of goes to the traditional norms, uh, normative thinking mm-hmm. of men are the ones that have the muscles. Women should not have the muscles. Um, and I don't know if that was their you know, way of thinking or anything like that, but I think that's something that we need to be cognizant of is in terms of, you know, body image and everything, women mm-hmm. can definitely be bulkier than men. And I don't think there should be any shame doing that. Again, not thinking that that's what's happening here, but when you have those differences in the suit, whether it's intentional or not, I think it contributes to that ideology of, you know, that's how, you know, men should look and how women should look. So, well, because it is noticeable. And, right. Because, in, in all honesty, there was a little bit of padding in the women's suits, just not on the muscles. Right. And, you know, it was it was pretty clear when, yeah. when they were on there. Right. And I understand it's a superhero thing. And I know, you know, how how the characters are drawn in the comics. I'm well aware mm-hmm. of the, the hyper real hyper realism and over the top nature of comic book imagery. Yeah. But to your point, it is something that they need to be a little more aware of. I think that there's becoming more awareness to it, but or with it, but I think that they need to get a little more on board mm-hmm. with not going so extreme with one and not the other. Right. And uh, because it, and and again, it, strength for these characters has nothing to do with how big their muscles are. Yeah, so yeah. Shazam could literally be 150 pounds, you know, soaking wet, mm-hmm. and still be able to lift a truck. Yeah. It's, it <laughs> has nothing to do with how big. He's not going to the gym. He's yeah. magically strong, so he doesn't right. have to be. But it, at least they did tone out the padding a little bit. They so did. I was and I was did. glad. Yeah. And if they keep going, maybe they'll drop it down a little more in the next one. <laughs> By the time we get to a fourth movie, he'll just be a, a normal spandex suit. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, right? Um, last thing, and then we'll go on to the um, ending, the mid and, and post credit scene here as well, is I want to ask people in Hollywood, why is it that we have to depict villains and monsters of having these capability to kill people? But then when it comes to the final battle to the heroes, like they don't use that power, right? So... Let me bring an example of a re- very recent movie. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Mm-hmm. Kang is out there blasting everybody away with his powers, which, by the way, I have this weird theory I haven't put out there yet, so this will be exclusive here, but I wonder if when he blasts those people, it's sending them to the the void, like what we saw in TVA when people Ooh. get you know struck with the TVA's um, wand. I wonder if that's what happens, right? But anyways, Kang's doing that to all the people, everything. Um, does it do it to the ants? 
does it do it to Scott Lang and Cassie Lang? Like, does it do the Ann family? So it's like, why? Like, why do you build that mm. person up and then hold them back from doing that in the final battle? So like, as a villain, if I had that power and I have the, this person that can have a chance of defeating me, I'm going at them like with all that, right? Same thing with the dragon in this movie. The dragon had fire-breathing capabilities. It was setting things on fire. But then when he got to Anthea and Freddy, uh, which, by the way, they never explained why Freddy was able to with, like withhold a lot of the things they were trying to do. But that's okay. I, like, I loved it. I just wish they explained right. it. But when it came to that scene, the dragon was doing the whole, you know, fearlessness or fear and, and hopelessness like surrounding you. Like, dragon, blow them away with your fire. Right. Like, that was quicker. <laughs> Obviously, you saw it wasn't working. Like, why did they not have the fire-breathing dragon? Throw fry, fire, fire at them and try to kill them that way. Yeah, so like it, it, it's not a unique problem with Shazam because I'm noticing right. that in other movies and superhero movies, obviously. But it's it's getting to a point for me where I'm just like, no, like I'm almost like telling the villain, kill them. Like that's not what you want to do <laughs> because you want to root for the superhero. But you're just like, why aren't you doing this? Like you have that power. You're just a stupid villain now at this point, right? But right, yeah, well, it, you know, the, you you get plot armor in, in movies and you understand that that's going to yeah. be a thing, but you don't want it to be so obvious yeah. like that <laughs> yeah. because you know that they're not going to kill off Freddie and Anthea. They were no. never going to kill those two, but you want the stakes to be there where you think that they might not make it. And yeah. by holding back the dragon like that. And again, it's not just this movie by any means, right? It's, it's a, a long running trope in yep. action movies and, and, and comic books films uh but by holding that back it does take a little bit of the weight of the situation away a little bit of the concern because mm -hmm. you should be concerned with them in the end to the point where you know when when billy dies at the end i didn't for a second think we were going to end this movie without him coming back honestly like, i i kind of did like i thought I, maybe I this is it you know <laughs> yeah i yeah i was i was talking to uh uh ellie uh, who she watched it last night as well from the all day show. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about how she cried a couple of times during this movie. And I literally just went, I, when, <laughs> when did you cry? And then it hit me. I was like, Oh yeah, there was a child death in this movie. Yes. And I didn't cry at it, man. I have gotten cynical. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I also think it's different when you have a kid, not that it makes it easier, but it's different right. when you have a kid that's like 18, that's more adult hood yeah. at that point versus, like if it was Darla, like if it was Darla, right. oh my god, I would have sobbed. Yeah, I would have lost know? it at that. Yeah, but let's let's talk about again how we want to see more kids. Like Billy was the person dead at the end, and right. then when Wonder Woman, which we'll talk about here in a minute, like brought him back to life, he came back as Shazam. It was Shazam, <laughs> why? Yes, I know. <laughs> why wouldn't you let it be Asher Angel? That kid is a great actor. I know. Which let I kind of get because they're, they're using the powers of Shazam to bring him back. Right. I kind of, but it. It wouldn't have bothered me if they had Billy in the movie a lot more. You know, it's, yeah. it, I think that's what it is, is that you're at that point, you're just finding like, why couldn't they just use Billy for this? You know, they use him mm -hmm. for when he when he died here and, and all that. But um, but yeah, it's so yeah, it's it's definitely different when it's a younger kid versus like, again, not that it's easier or makes it better or anything like that by any means. But I think the level of emotional impact, uh, like especially for a parent, you know, like and I'll be honest, like. When my kid's 18, like, I'm probably going to sob, like, you, you know, when I see that as well. Because every kid, we talked about this, every kid in the movie is your kid. And so you're always thinking right. about if this was your kid. So, um, yeah, but 
Yeah, so that's just a weird trope with the villains like having these superpowers and they get nerfed at the end final battle for whatever reason. And and uh, it's just, I, I don't know, for me, like I said, it's just I, I wish they would figure out a better way to do that or or something because I think it's just, it's this that's what you start doing. It's like if you have that power and you have that, you know, trick, like, you know, think about like when you play a, a, a video game, if you know that you have a power that you're really good at using against mm-hmm. people, why would you do just a simple duck and undercut when you're trying to annihilate somebody, right? Like, you use that right. same power over and over again. Like, why would they not? And and if they couldn't, you know, if it was something like, you know, in the Dungeons & Dragons world that we talk about all the time because we want to play it, um, <laughs> if you use a power, you have to rest up and, and kind of let that come back and everything. Like, then explain mm-hmm. that and use that. Like, yes, he has fire breathing, but he can't, you know, use all the time because it gets depleted and everything. Like, explain that, you know, but... Anyway, so those are the criticism. Let's talk about the ending, mid, and post-credit scene. So it ends with Gal Gadot coming in to bring Billy back as Wonder Woman because they needed the god, uh, the spark of a god, to bring Billy back. I gotta say, uh, I I enjoyed it. I was confused. I loved it. Like I had a lot of emotion seeing her on screen as Wonder Woman again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sad that it's probably that's going to be her last appearance as Wonder Woman. But at the it's same time, possible. it was so great. And they leaned into Billy having like the huge crush on her and how I love how when she's walking away, she didn't really diminish him by any means. But she just said, you know, why don't you keep trying to save the world or, or whatever? You know, like like very Wonder Woman kind of way of, mm-hmm. of understanding the situation and, and not, you know, being uh, a, a jerk about it or, or anything like that. But I love Gal Gadot like showing up in here. I thought it was great, and it's just it's just weird because we're getting ending cameo appearances of people in the old DCEU before mm-hmm. we get into DC Studios, right? So we had Henry Cavill and Black Adam. We now have Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, and then we're going to have Ben Affleck in his final appearance of Batman in the Flash mm-hmm. movie coming up. So it's just kind of really interesting with all that. But anyways, what did you think about Wonder Woman coming back and 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 that end scene there? I would have been so happy if I didn't know it was coming already. <laughs> I'm so fear. I'm how, so how did you know it was coming. Like, did you just they, know? They they put her in a TV spot. Oh, they did. That's right. She I, was I in completely TV forgot spot. about that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was when the movie was over. You know, I was talking to everybody, and they're like, "Man, I can't believe Wonder Woman was in there." So, well, I wish that it would have been a surprise because I, I, I was very happy to see her because I love her as Wonder Woman. Right. But I would have been so excited if that would have. I, I wish that I could have been surprised by it yeah. because it was it was played very well. You know, you're sitting there wondering, well, who's the god that's left because Anthea can't do it. You know that somebody's going to show up, and then you know, Wonder Woman from off camera. So I, I love the scene. I was really happy to see her. It does have some weird feelings because you don't know if she's coming back or not. Right. Uh, but, you know, it was great. And Zachary Levi playing the teenage boy that doesn't know how to talk to girls <laughs> really worked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he really knows how to do that. Me. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, and I got to say, I. <laughs> Again, I'm kind of I'm not sure how to feel about this. I thought it was funny how the mom said, "What is it about our boys into older women?" Because mm-hmm. you got these, you know, women that are thousands of years old. I will say <laughs> right. it is odd that Anthea is into Freddie because I don't know how it's a little weird. Yeah, I don't know how old Freddie is. I mean, he's 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 you know, 
Not well. I think he said he was only a few months, like a month or, or two younger than Billy. So he's seventeen as well. Oh, okay, gotcha. So <laughs> he's he's about to turn eighteen also. And again, it's 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 Greek culture, right? So like those things didn't apply to them. Not that saying like it's excusing <laughs> them by any means, but like when you look at Greek culture, like it, they probably didn't think anything of it. And, and she hasn't been in the world, so she probably doesn't realize how weird that is and how mm-hmm. it's kind of faux pas right now for right. her with the age difference. Um, so let's talk about the mid credit scene. Cause I think this is the one that's going to have the most discussion about cause the end credit scene is uh, it's whatever. Like it was a fine little, you know, thing to uh, the first movie with uh, showing Dr. Um, Savannah mm-hmm. being in jail. It's just pretty much a repeat of what happened in the first one. And so it's right. just kind of like a funny quirk. Right. Um, but the mid credit scene where we get, Emilia and Economos from Suicide Squad and Peacemaker mm-hmm. joining up or showing up to see Shazam, which, by the way, I think that whole thing with Shazam was a little bit odd because I don't know why he was at a abandoned gas station. Yeah, I thought that was weird, too. I thought they were just did they just use a set from Peacemaker? I don't know. That's what it seemed like. <laughs> That's what it looked like. That's what it looked it? like. And then for him to be using the gum fingers to zap things out and like getting really excited about him, like at that point, that probably has worn off like how excited it was for him, you know? Right. I think it would have made a lot more sense if it was in the first movie, but by by mm. this time, you know, he threw a truck at a dragon. I don't think that sort of thing is going to get him excited. So that, that part right. was a little weird. But this is where it gets weirder, right? Is they both from the Peacemaker world that we know is going to still stay in the DC studios with James Gunn and uh, Peter Safran shows up and tells him that he's going to be part of Justice Society, mm-hmm. which I'll be honest. It, it's, it is funny, too, because he thought he's getting invited to Justice League. And then he's like, wait, what's the Justice Society? Makes fun of how they have these two teams that does the same thing. Mm. And they both have justice in the beginning of it. <laughs> I love how he looked up in the thesaurus, like Avengers Society. Avengers. Like, <laughs> I got to say, I love that. Like, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. But I think it brings a lot of questions in terms of like, this is what got DCEU in trouble is people were watching all these movies and like, what the hell is going on? We are still feeling like that. Like, mm-hmm. and again, I kind of get it because I was talking to my buddy JT about this, where when Peter Safran and James Gunn was announced, they probably said, let's just let everybody do their thing for a couple things. One, James Gunn being director, he probably understands that. It's frustrating when you're a director and you have somebody coming in and trying to change things that you're creatively trying to create. But also, James Gunn has made it clear that the Flash movie is going to reset the whole timeline for DC Mm -hmm. Studios. So that's probably why he was just like, let them do whatever. But at the same time, it does make it a little bit weird of, does this mean that Zachary Levi is going to continue as Shazam? Because a lot of indications shows that he's not going to come back, that they're not Mm -hmm. moving forward with Shazam. But you have those two people from the Peacemaker show that's going to be in the DC Studios universe inviting him to the Justice Society. So it just it raises a lot of questions. I know I'm confused. I don't know how you're feeling about it. Yeah, it, it does raise a lot of questions. Um, of course, in a perfect world, they'll just be able to continue on because, again, I, I enjoy both these movies. Uh, and I think there's a way for them to do that because mm-hmm. if – with the Flash movie looking like it's going to be mirroring Flashpoint from the comics, which set up the new 52. Right. They they have that built in where they can cherry pick what works. And if this movie makes gangbusters at the box office, they've automatically got a way in. You can right. keep it right there with it. If not, you, you know, they can just say, oh, that was one of the things that Barry messed up when he was trying to go back in time. Yeah. And and so it, it is confusing, but um 
I, I think we'll just have to wait and see what, yeah. what's going to happen with Flash. Uh, I was excited at the idea of it. I love. I, I agree with you completely. The the Justice League Justice Society <laughs> joke was great. Yeah. Um, and and I would just like to. Uh, I just want to see them continue on, but at the same time, I'm not holding my breath for that. So we'll see yeah. what happens. Well, I'll say this: you know, if this is the last that we see them, like those are two really good movies, and I'm glad yeah. we got that at least, and, and I'm glad that it was a, it was very focused on family because I don't know if Shazam slash Captain Marvel was about family or if that was something that got added in into the lore later on. Um, oh, by the way, and then there was that cameo. I don't know who that person was, but that Shazam cameo. Who is that person? Do you know? He may have been Billy Batson from the Shazam TV show from back in the 70s. Oh, there was a TV show. Okay, gotcha. Because he was wearing he was wearing a, a, a costume that was very reminiscent of... Yes, like of, you can tell. That. Yeah, <laughs> and he had the haircut that was very reminiscent of somebody from the 70s. Yeah. And he yelled out Captain Marvel. And So, so I'm he did guessing, say Captain Marvel. He, yeah, he, yelled, he said Captain Marvel. So I'm guessing that... That's probably the actor that played Billy Batson. I, okay. I don't know for sure. I didn't get to look it up. Gotcha. But I, if if I was a betting man, I would say that's that's who that was. See, and, and that's what's interesting about him saying Captain Marvel, because I thought legally like Marvel was the only company that could use Captain Marvel. But maybe that's like in certain circumstances, there's nothing preventing them from actually saying it. I don't think there's anything preventing them from saying it. Just okay. like, you know, they, they're not allowed to say that, oh, you can't call a team Avenger. You can't say Avengers right. or Avenger, whatever. Or so I think that they could probably say it. <laughs> I, I think it has more to do with um, with actually, like, titling the character. Like, like having a, a comic or a movie titled Captain Marvel, I think, is what they're not allowed to do. Right. Because okay. I believe that they've called him Captain Marvel in the comics Recently, I know that now that's like the captain or something like that that they're trying oh, to that's change right. it to. Yeah, that's um, right. You're right. Yeah, but I, but I don't know. It was just nice to get that that shout out to the character's original name. Yes, I I, I definitely like that. I like how they're doing those things where they're you know paying homage to people who played the characters early on in the in the world of you know the comic book universe. And I gotta say, this is a little bit off topic, but I think it'll go into this is that. Um, one of the things that has been noticeable since James Gunn and Peter Safran has taken the lead with DC Studios is that at the end of their trailers for movies coming out, they're saying what comic book stories or series mm-hmm. has inspired the movie. And as a comic book fan, I absolutely love that because I know a lot of people ask about that. And it's sometimes it's hard to find it because they're not really somewhere that you can find it because it's either the terms are too vague or it's just hard to be able to see if anyone's asked them about it. And if so, you know, it might be some obscure article that doesn't hit the Google search um, Mm -hmm. on the first few pages and all that. But the fact that they're including that, I hope Marvel takes notice of it and they start doing that as well, because I think that's what helped them get people back into comics. Not that people are falling out of it, but get people interested in comics a lot Mm -hmm. more and be able to say, I love this movie. Now I want to see the original source and see what that was like, because how many times have we saw something like, for example, my own story. One of the reasons I have always wanted to get into Dozens of Dragons, but one of the reasons why I'm hitting it hard now is I came across a show called Vox Machina that's on Amazon mm-hmm. Prime, animated series that's based on you know Dungeons and Dragon. I watched the show, I love it. I I absolutely fell in love with it. I think it's great. 
And then I come to find out that it's all based on these group of people who are voice actors out in California that's been doing this for like 10 years now. It's based on campaigns that they've done and they live stream onto Twitch and they made a podcast of their campaigns. And so it's all these stories from the campaigns that they played years ago that they made into an animated series. And so now I'm like, I love this group. I love Critical Role. I love learning more about Dungeons & Dragons. Now I'm watching them Thursday nights doing their campaigns every Thursday night on Twitch, you know? So that is an example of how when people get into something and they get really excited about, they want to dive more into that world. And so I think this is a really mm-hmm. smart play from James Gunn and Peter Safran to start doing that. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think that, I think that Marvel should probably take a page out of that book and do the same. Yes. Uh, any time that you have an adapted work, if you can show people where the where it was adapted from and where they could buy it or where they could pick it up where they could learn more about it i think that that's really not only smart business wise because mm-hmm. you know they're going to you're, you're you're not competing against yourself you know warner brothers and dc are under the same company so you're just promoting right. one wing of your business and but not only that it there's a an ethical side to it of, you know, you're using these stories that have been written and and drawn and illustrated by other people, mm-hmm. at least show their work yes. and let them have a chance to, to, to reap some of those benefits as well. Agreed. Yes. All right. So we talked like almost an hour about Shazam Fury of the Gods. Um, let's end it with what we want to rate the movie. And then we're going to talk about um, real quickly, the comics that we're reading as well, too. So we talked about the things we loved about it, the things that we wish they would have changed, and some interesting things about the future of DCEU or the DCU, whatever they're going to call it. Um, overall, how would you rank or rate this movie? Uh, so if I was going to give it a rating, like a numerical rating, mm-hmm. I would say this is probably, I would go as high as an 8 out of 10. I really enjoyed this. And as far as a, as a trying to put it into where I would say with the DC EU as a whole, this is in the top in the top you know echelon of DC movies for me. I, yeah. I really enjoy it in, in the new regime. I mean, you know, I wouldn't put this over you know eighty nine Batman or or even the Dark Knight you know, trilogy or yeah or well. <laughs> maybe maybe you would but. maybe maybe i would <laughs> nobody else would uh, maybe not batman begins but anyway so yeah i would say that as far as like the more modern the dceu this would this would be up there with the first one and man of steel for me those are my those are my favorite of of the dceu so so yeah i really enjoyed this quite yeah. A bit. yeah i i i think that's where a lot of people are going to rank this at because i remember looking at some of the rotten tomato scores and i think you know when you look at the audience score which by the way i i don't give a lot of stock to it but i always just kind of look and see what it's ranked at mm-hmm. from both reviewers and uh the audience just to kind of just be like huh that's interesting you know but i don't mm-hmm. take a lot of stock of like that's going to be how i'm going to feel or or influence my thoughts whatsoever. But from what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing from, you know, some of my friends on social media and just social media in general, I think a lot of people are enjoying it. It's not as great as, you know, the best movies out there, but they Mm -hmm. really are enjoying it. And so I think I would be around a seven to seven and a half. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, for me, that's really good. Like a a 10 out of 10 is very rare for me to give something because I always feel like I probably have some sort of nitpick thing. Um, But seven, you know, seven and a half out of 10, I think is is is, for me is really good. I still enjoy it. It's something I would watch again, given the opportunity and all that. So, um, yeah, again, a few odd things. But I think that odd things I mentioned today 
are just things that are probably a little more nitpicky than a here's a completely huge issue with the storytelling piece of the movie. I'm looking at you, Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's Mormon time. Oh, my God. I know. Like, that's the only good thing that came out of that whole thing is, is the <laughs> memes and the jokes and all that. Um, so, yeah. So this movie, you know, story wise, I think was fine. And, and there was a, nothing wrong with the, you know, the semant or the structure of the storytelling or the visual effects or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I'll give it a seven and a half out of ten. So. Um, so before I let you go, let's talk about the comics that we're reading. Now, usually on the show, I ask people to send in what comics are reading. But because we're doing this on a Friday, uh, which is a little earlier than I asked for, I'm not going to be able to include anybody's for that. So definitely the next episode, I'll include that. But for today's episode, it's just going to be you and me talking about what comics we're currently reading. So is there I, and I know I didn't give you a heads up ahead of time about this. Are you reading a comic currently? <laughs> yeah, I've got a, I've got a handful that I'm working on right now. Yeah. Uh, of, of course, if, if anybody has listened to anything of me in the past, you know that I'm reading the the monthly Iron Man book, The Invincible Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry Duggan is writing that. It's great. Um, I'm also reading the limited series that they're they're putting out for his 60th anniversary, the I Am Iron Man, which is also fantastic so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been reading the Avengers Assemble crossover, which just had its second to last book. The uh, Avengers Forever number 16 was this week, and it was excellent. I can't wait to see how they wrap that up next month in Avengers Assemble Omega number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Avengers War Across Time, and uh, I just finally got around to reading the first issue of Rogue and Gambit, which was a lot of fun. I can't wait to see where they go with that. Uh, no DC right now because I'm, I'm so into what I'm reading right now with the Avengers and Iron Man. Right. Uh, but, yeah. It's 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 been good so far, and Rogan Gambit. I'm really excited about that. Rogan oh, Gambit's really good. Ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah, and I think speaking of Jerry Dugan, um, Marvel did a X Men 60th anniversary live stream event where they actually had some great people on. They had Chris Claremont on. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I can't remember who are some of the other people. I know Ryan Panagos is on there. Like I absolutely love Ryan Panagos, who's one of the VPs mm-hmm. there. Um, but I can't remember if they had Jerry. Duggan on there or um, if they just made this announcement about it, but I think he's going to be writing the new X-Men series that's coming out, if I remember correctly. Mm, yeah. I have to check it out. I know. So especially because like, you know, they have all the, you know, House of X, Powers mm-hmm. of Ten, the, you know, the Trials of X, and so now they're going to do the Fall of X, which I think are going to like reset everything and bring it back, you know, a little bit more self-contained now. Um, and then, not to get too far off track and all that, but did you hear about the news with the digital comics reader, um, mm-hmm. the partnerships they've had? So, yeah. so for people that haven't heard this yet, there's these two companies called Global Comics and one's called Omnib- uh, Omnibus App. They're digital reading apps, basically, for comics. And they have these huge partnerships now with like Image Comics. Um, I don't think Dark Horse is one of them, but Boom Studios, uh, Ahoy, Valiant, uh, Mad Cave Studios, all the popular comic book publishers that's not Marvel and DC, they're going to be doing some exclusive partnerships to offer 
digital comics of those uh, publishers' comics, which is going to be a huge game changer, I think, because Comixology is pretty much on its last leg at this point. Mm-hmm. So I think Amazon, this is going to force Amazon to figure out, are we going to you know try to save this sinking ship or are we just going to let it go and just move on and then let everybody else you know pretty much do a better job than they did? I mean, they Comixology was good one. and then they just killed it. You know, like, yeah, I don't think Amazon <laughs> sunk that ship. Yeah, like I don't think they tried to, but but at the same time, when you try to make something fit your infrastructure that's not mm. clearly designed, like I'm sorry, Kindles were not made for reading comics at all. No, no so when you not. try to make it fit in that mold, like it's just not going to work, you know. So yeah. So anyway, so um, books I'm reading, I'm reading a handful of series. Um, one I have to give a shout out to. I just finished reading is a series called No One from Image Comics, mm-hmm. written by Kyle Higgins. Um, it's a fantastic issue. It's probably my favorite one of the year, and it's only one issue has been out. But what we love about it is not only is it a fantastic story, and the colors, by the way, the colors by Mark Engler is just phenomenal. Um, they're making a whole experience out of this. So not only is there a comic book issue for um, No One, but they also have an accompanying podcast. And it's not a podcast where they're talking about how they made it. It's actually a podcast that lives in the world of this comic book series. Oh, wow. So it's a, it's really what it is, is an audio drama, but it's an audio drama of these two journalists, uh, characters that's in the story, mm-hmm. making a podcast about the crimes that's going on. That's kind of giving you a lot more details about the, um, uh, what's going on in the story that they didn't cover in the comic book issue. Fascinating. The, the people who are in it is Rachel Lee Cook, who we all remember from the 90s is she's all that. I don't know what she's been in oh, since yeah. then, but like, you know, everybody loved her. And um, Patton Oswalt is also one of the other voices there as well, too. So they have that podcast. And then when you go in the show notes, they actually have links that goes out. It makes it seem like this is a thing that's happening in the world. And so they have like these video clips of things that was mentioned in the podcast and the comic book. Like it's just it's a phenomenal issues series i'm absolutely loving it and i i think you know if you get a chance to pick it up and read it i highly recommend it it's already sold out like it just came out yep. wednesday and today is friday like two days after it came out it's already sold out they're already doing a second printing of it that's how popular wow. this thing is getting from uh from the series so definitely check it out i think it's phenomenal and then the other one i'm going to be starting soon is the x-men red series i can't tell you anything about it all i know is the people over at comic watch i asked them when I was first getting back into the comic, uh, into reading X-Men in the comics, I asked him, there's a lot out there of X-Men stories. I don't think I have the time or the money to read all of them. If there is a series that I should absolutely read currently, what should it be? Mm-hmm. And they all said, or the majority of them said X-Men Red. They, mm-hmm. they made some other suggestions, but it seems like everybody was on board that X-Men Red is definitely a fantastic series. So I got volumes one and volume two of that series. I'm going to start reading that, and I'm really looking forward to it. I know Cable's on that team, and I've been wanting to read more um, stuff about Cable. So I'm really excited about getting back into X-Men, but also learning a little bit more about this character that I've absolutely loved, but have not read a whole lot about in the comics. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's what I'm reading. Um and yeah, so Derek, thank you very much for coming on the show to talk about Suzanne Fury of the Gods. Before I let you go, where can we find you and your podcast online? Uh, you can find us at paperweightentertainment.com. There are links to all our social medias there. Uh, you can also watch and listen to our most recent episodes right there from the webpage. You don't even have to go anywhere else. Uh, if you want to follow me more closely on social media, check us out on TikTok. Um, 
Paperweight Entertainment and also Silver Screen Scoundrels. Both of both of those are on uh, on TikTok. And uh, yeah, that's that's really the easiest way. Website and TikTok. <laughs> if you want to if you want to find out what's going on, yeah. paperweightentertainment.com and, and, and look us up on TikTok. As long as TikTok is still around by this time. As long as it's there. If not, we'll be <laughs> on YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thanks very much. And I'll make sure to put uh, links uh, to your show and everything uh, in the show notes as well, too. So thanks again for joining. This was a blast. Have a great day. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. And that wraps up another episode of The Caption Life. I hope you enjoyed listening, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media at Caption Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout-out by tagging us in your post or send us a message. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsinlife.com. 